Uh, and as pretty typical, the church likes to stay in the season for a few days, sometimes even a few weeks. Uh, and today we just read about being the light of the world. Um, and the relationship to baptism is, is pretty clear. Uh, baptism is often called the sacrament of enlightenment. Um, it's the one that, that opens our eyes. Um, and back even, in fact, uh, there's a guy named uh, St. Cyril of Jerusalem who used to give these lectures to catechumens. Catechumens are people who were new to the church. And he would teach them about the liturgy. But one of the interesting things he did is he'd have some lectures before baptism, kind of telling them what they're going to see in the liturgy and explain it to them and things like that. And then he had a set series of lectures after baptism. And his thinking was that the believers couldn't absorb the teaching until after they were baptized because their eyes had not been opened and enlightened um, because they just, they just couldn't handle it. Um, so St. Paul talks about baptism in Romans and he says, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? So our baptism is a baptism into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the idea is baptism combines me with Christ's death, which then combines me with Christ's resurrection. So baptism, the, the act of baptism starts a journey, a journey that starts with death and ends with resurrection. Uh, in fact, one of the Old Testament types in the story of Noah, uh, sorry, the story of Moses, um, who knows what's the Old Testament type of baptism in the story of Moses? Crossing the Red Sea. Right? So we, we, we talk about crossing the Red Sea, and that's why in the Tezbeha we talk a lot about the horse and the rider and all of these things about how Pharaoh and his armies were trampled and killed in the Red Sea because it's really a, a type of baptism and that's a journey that started with a lot of death and ended up in the promised land. And so this, this mix of the resurrection and the crucifixion, how death leads to life, is, is, is important in the church. And there can be no resurrection without a crucifixion. And those two are very united. Uh, in fact, I, I brought uh, props. Um, if, you know, most hand crosses like this one, if you notice on one side, it's etched with a crucifixion. And on the other side, it's etched with the resurrection. And this is kind of the, the, the typical orthodox hand cross should have the resurrection on one side and the crucifixion on the other because there is no resurrection without crucifixion and the two kind of go hand in hand. And so during our life, we focus on this death. We focus on the death of our egos and our wills, our desires, and we look for Christ's will. Uh, and this process of dying isn't very pleasant. Uh, in fact, one of the fallacies of the spiritual life is, you know, people say, how do I know God's will? What's God's will in my life? Do I marry this person or that person? I get this job or that job? Do I live here or there? And sometimes people will say things like, well, whatever gives you peace, right? If, if you have peace with the decision, then that's God's will. But that isn't necessarily true, right? Because sometimes God's will is something I don't want, right? When you look at the story of Jonah, Clearly, he knew God's will, and it didn't give him any peace. He didn't like it. And so, sometimes just looking for peace in a decision isn't the right way to ascertain God's will. 
and everyone's path is very unique. Uh, a spiritual writer writes, there are as many forms of holiness and hence also ways to holiness as there are people. For God, each person is absolutely unique. Holiness is not the realization of a given model of perfection that is identical for everyone. We see, him, we see this in his saints, so many different models and paths to heaven. To reach holiness, we cannot be content merely to follow the general principles that apply to everyone. But we also want to know specifically what applies to me. And so this is such an important concept that everyone's path is unique. Um, about a year ago, I was on vacation and I was watching the sunset. And as I watched it set, I, I couldn't help but think that the sun was looking back at me. I can't think we've all had this feeling that the sun is just looking right at you. If you walk left, you walk right, doesn't matter. The sun just follows you. And I imagined that my relationship with God was a lot like that. So I was watching the sunset and I was pretty sure the sun was looking just at me. Yet I knew intellectually that the guy next to me could see the same sunset I could see, and this person could see the same sunset I could see, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like it was just me and the sun. It was just the two of us. And I think our relationship with God is like that. That intellectually, I know I'm sure other people have a relationship with God, but I don't feel that. I feel it's just me and him, and it's our relationship, and it's that individual and that personal. And then God even in the creation gives us these little touches of beauty and he, you know, he, he gives you things like fingerprints that are unique to every human being, which is just an amazingly complicated thing to imagine and to process. And God is almost wants to say, you're that unique. Each one of you is that unique. And so sometimes we have to figure out what's specific to me and not just what's general to everyone else. And so it can happen that you can make superhuman efforts to improve on one point while God wants you is asking for something else. And so when we think about the baptism, baptism is the start of this spiritual journey, right? The start of death that leads to life. And we think about St. John the Baptist. Of course, it's hard to think of the epiphany without him. He uttered these seven words that are just like the principles of Christian life. And to me, it's what we're all called to do. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. And St. John the Baptist was, of course, talking about Christ increasing and him himself decreasing. And if we understand this verse and we live by it, then there's really nothing left. That kind of grabs everything, right? It, it summarizes everything. And this is what baptism is. It's this journey of letting him increase and me decrease and to figure out what's God's plan for me in this world. What am I meant to do? How am I meant to further the kingdom? How am I meant to serve how do I fit in to all of this? And we see every other people serving, and we think, I, I kind of want to do that. Maybe I want to do this. And so this process starts with the baptism. It starts with the water, you know, when we're 40 days or 80 days or whatever the case may be. And we all say, axios, and we say the name of the, of the child being baptized, and we say, axios, to the Christian, the new Christian. But this is just the beginning of the process. In fact, we have to accept our baptism, like as adults, at some point in our life. We can't just say, I was baptized. That's not enough. You have to say at some point, I accept the baptism that happened to me. I take it for myself. 
And unless I do, then it's just some kind of magic or voodoo, right? I, I go in the water and something happens. But it has to be more than that. It has to be, there has to be a, 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 um, a symbiotic relationship between me and the sacrament. It's not enough that someone impose the sacrament on a 40-day-old baby without me as an adult accepting what happened. And so as God increases and I decrease, it puts me in positions I don't want to be in. It puts me in situations I don't want to be in. It gives me trials that I don't want to endure. And ultimately, this process of being in places and doing things I don't want to deal with and interacting with people I don't want to interact with and having situations happen to me that I don't want, this is the whole process of Christianity and the part of the dying. Father Jacques Philippe says, if God sees that we are docile to events, able to consent peacefully and lovingly to whatever life happens to impose on us, in a spirit of, in a spirit of filial trust and abandon, abandonment to his will, there can be no doubt that he will speak to our hearts. So that's nice, but here's the other part. If, however, we always rebel and tense ourselves against difficulties that kind of defiance of God will make it difficult for the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. I just love this expression. Tense ourselves against difficulties. And it's almost that's the way it is. The difficulties and the trials come and we tense against them. We push back. You know, every once in a while you're holding a child's hand and you want them to draw something and you're trying to help them do it and they're pushing. And you're like, just let me hold your hand. Let your hand go docile, right? And then you can easily maneuver their hand and do whatever it is you want. But when they keep pushing back, it just sort of messes up the pictures. So what he continues, what happens often is that we are confronted with painful occurrences and we either rebel or endure them unwillingly or resign ourselves to them passively. None of those are good options, but God invites us to a much more positive and fruitful attitude. One of the saints says, as a child, I choose it all. We can give this the meaning. I choose everything that God wants for me. I won't content myself with merely enduring it, but by a free act of my will, I decide to choose what I have not chosen. St. Therese used the expression, I want everything that causes me difficulties. And so this idea of choosing these difficulties, this is the process of dying. And then the next step is the resurrection. And that's sort of the focus of today's gospel. The gospel finishes the thought, becoming the light of the world. In the gospel today, it says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who may come in may see the light. And so this is the outcome of the process we just described. This is the outcome of baptism. Baptism starts the journey, but it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of a long, lifelong journey of dying, letting God increase, and me increasing. Death of the old self, death of, um, which leads to life, the life of the new Adam. And so what does this mean? The light cannot shine unless it has received light from somewhere else. St. Ambrose of Milan says, The word of God is the light, and faith is the lamp. That was the true light that enlightens everyone that comes into the world. The lamp cannot shine unless it has received light from elsewhere. 
So this concept is very interesting because at one point Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then at another point, he says, you are the light of the world. So which is it? Is Christ the light of the world or am I the light of the world? And if you think about, has anyone here ever had a, a mirror and a flashlight and you flash the flashlight into the mirror and then you can blind your friends, right? And you can just kind of point the flashlight at whoever you want to point it at. And next thing you know, that mirror is now almost as powerful as the flashlight and you can just, you know, shoot people in the eye and you can poke it and the best part is to put on someone's chest, they don't know it's there. Everyone else laughs. I was younger then. So this idea is you can either be the flashlight or you can be the mirror. And the mirror reflects the light, although it is not the source of the light. It has no light in and of itself, right? And the worst thing the mirror can do is at some point the mirror can think to itself, man, I'm the source of light. I'm killing it. Look at how much light I'm putting out. When in fact, the, the mirror has become delusional, right? Because the mirror is just reflecting the flashlight. It's doing nothing in and of itself. It's just a piece of glass. And so St. Athanasius fulfills this, completes this analogy, and he says, a Christian is like the sun and the moon. God is to Christians as the sun is to the moon. And as the sun is the exclusive source of light, the Christian as the moon just reflects the light of the sun. And so that's ultimately our calling, reflect this light. So my final practical point, the gospel today says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that, the, that those who come in may see the light. What is Christ saying here? He's saying he wants us to be the light of the world. The world. So how do we light up the world? Well, Matthew 25 gives us the hint. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Ultimately, that's the list. Christ talks about the, the final judgment, and he says, I will separate the sheep, sheep from the goats, the, go, the sheep on my right, the goats on my left, and how do I separate sheep from goats? That's the list. I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was in prison, I was sick, I was naked, and you did all the right things for me. That's the list. And we have to embody that list. That's, that's it. That's what we're aiming for. We have to do the list. We have to be the list for every person we encounter. Last night, I was driving home from a retreat, and another, a youth from another diocese called me, and he was very upset. And he was talking about how his church doesn't appreciate him, and his priest doesn't appreciate him, and the min khidma doesn't appreciate him, and, and all these things. And some of the things he talked about is how his skills weren't being used. I know all these hymns, and the deacons don't use my talents. I could be teaching classes, and people don't use my talents. I could be doing all these things in the church, and people don't use my talents. And so I asked him about the list. I said, you've, 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 you've mentioned a lot of things that you do. How many of those things are on the list? And we talked about the list. And he said, none. And so sometimes we lose focus because the verse says, be the light of the world. And sometimes we want to be the light of the church. And the verse doesn't say, be the light of the church. Sometimes we want to just light up around church. We want 
to no, be noticed. We want the, the priest to notice what we're doing. We want the bishop to notice what we're doing. We want the Amin al-Khidmah to notice what we're doing. We want other people to notice what we're doing and to talk about us and to be acknowledged and to have our talents be recognized in the church. And I have this talent and that talent and I want all the people in this congregation to know about me. But that's not the verse. The verse is the light of the world. And so we're not called to light up here. That's not the calling. The church is the fountain of grace. We come, it's the well, and we drink, and we get filled with the living water. And then we take that living water and we go be in the world. We take the light and then we become light to the world that's in darkness. And this is ultimately actually the model of, of St. Shenouda, the Archmandrite, the original St. Shenouda. So you know there's different systems of monasticism. St. Anthony was all about being a hermit. And so he had these lone individual monks. And St. Pachomius had a different system. He had the system of kononia, or the Cenobetic system, which means they all lived in a community. St. Genuda had created a hybrid system of monasticism where you all get together on the weekend, you take communion together, you have fellowship together as a group of monks, and then you go back out into the world, into your cells, into the caves, or wherever you live. You come, you take light, and then you go out and you be. That was his system. And that's sort of the system we should be focused on. Taking at church and then going out and becoming light to the world. And how does this light manifest itself? Do we hold up protest signs and hold up verses on it and say, you're all going to go to hell and if you don't, you're not a Christian, you're not, gonna, you're not like us, you're bad, people are bad. Do we attack other religions? Do we try to force everyone in the country to be moral by, by, by passing laws that put them in jail? Ultimately, those aren't the approaches we're called to take. I'm sorry. Turns out when you highlight something in yellow and then you print it, you can't see the yellow. <laughs> That's what happens when you do this in the morning. Um, all right. Okay, I'll read you a quote. Um, this is from Sister Claire. I've talked to you about Sister Claire before. Uh, she was a monk. She passed, a nun, sorry. She passed away in 2016. She was a Catholic nun from an earthquake in Ecuador. And her obedience to God was just absolutely stunning. She's one of these people that just embodied life. Uh, I highly recommend that you watch her uh, uh, biography on, on YouTube. And she would say things like, we have to be saints. It's all or nothing. We can't remain in mediocrity. We have to fight with all our strength against the ob obstacles that impede us from growing. And this reminds me of John the Baptist's quote, all or nothing. He must increase and I must decrease. And she gave to others with such diligence that she had nothing left, no reserve. She would exhaust herself in service, and nobody would even know that she was tired or sick, and she would continue for 14, 15 hours. She couldn't do things halfway. She was incapable. She kept nothing back ever. And I'll read you this quote that she said, Sometimes it's easy to say, yes, I want Christ to enter in me, but this doesn't occur in five minutes. You can't just go in front of the tabernacle and say, now, and it's done and over with. And he's there inside you. 
In my experience, it's a fairly painful process. In order for Christ to live in me, in order for him to dwell inside and take complete possession of my soul, he has to step on and crush the serpent, the old nature, my ego of Claire Crockett. This hurts a lot, a lot, sometimes a ton. He has to get rid of everything that isn't him, and there's a lot, by the way. And sometimes my, my despicable self runs after things that he is trying to rid my soul of, my will, my likes, my attachments, my ideas, my plans, and that hurts, even though I know it's for my own good. It stings. It doesn't mean that when I say, let me die so you can live, I'm just kidding. No, I'm serious when I say it. But please give me your strength, your grace, your love, your saints, your mother, your heart, so I can lose all fear, so I, so I can open wide the doors to you. So I'll just end by saying this, this day of baptism, this day of epiphany, this is the beginning of a journey. It's a be beginning of a journey of death. And as Sister Claire says, it stings and it stings a lot. But this is the process that we go through. And as we become light, we reflect God and we reflect him in total love to our neighbor. And this is the list that he gives us in Matthew 25. And glory be to God forever. Amen.